The famous Defense Innovation Unit has a new little sibling. The National Security Innovation Capital focuses on investing in innovative hardware that can benefit the military. After nine months, the office has invested $15 million. Federal News Network's Scott Massioni spoke with the director of the INSIC, Tex Schenken. INSIC was created in the 2019 uh, authorization bill, National Security Innovation Capital. Uh, it's a program which addresses the shortfall of trusted funding from private venture capital sources for the development of new hardware products that have both commercial and national security applications. Uh, We think that there is such a vast amount of venture capital funding flowing into startups in this country, and there is an enormous amount. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that a very small percentage of that private VC funding flows into early-stage hardware startup companies. And that's because there's technology risk. Uh, Usually it takes longer to develop the products before you can put them in the hands of customers to be evaluated. There are uh, challenges, excuse me, it takes more capital to uh, fund these companies, and so the risk-reward ratio isn't as attractive. Uh, And that gap between what the startup, the hardware startups need, and the available funding from U.S. venture capital sources encouraged adversarial sources of funds to step in, and that's bad for the companies, it's bad for the U.S. economy, and it's bad for national security. So NSIC was created to begin addressing that particular problem. We function a little earlier stage than DIU does, but we're a part of the DIU family. So we're hardware specific, and DIU covers both hardware and software. DIU looks at companies that already have products in the marketplace, NSIC is working to help fund companies that are in the process of developing their products and maturing them to the point that they can bring them to market. Can you talk a bit about what kind of work you do to prune these smaller companies and ones that are are looking for investment? How is it different than uh, working with a company that's much more established? Although the way we fund companies is through prototype development contracts, um, we approach the work that we do with um, hardware startups very much like a venture firm would. We try to identify technologies that we think have promise that fit the criteria we're looking for. Um, We work with them uh, to fund the development concept that they have in mind. We're not redirecting them to do something specific at that time for the Defense Department. And then we set up an ongoing relationship where we fund them as they are developing those particular uh, products or technologies. And then we help them uh, wherever we can. If they need introductions, just just like a a venture firm would, if they need introductions to other technologies, uh, uh, to materials suppliers, uh, we can often provide that kind of help. Uh, Sometimes our subject matter experts have some good inputs uh, to advise them on their development. So we work with them in a very proactive way uh, to try to support their growth and development of the products and as a company. What sort of things have you accomplished so far in in terms of awarding contracts or, uh, you know, building on any sort of SBIR type stuff or anything like that? Although we were authorized uh, 
back in 2019, we only received funding for this fiscal year from Congress. We got word of that in December of uh, 20, and we received the funds at the end of February of this year. We launched our website at the beginning of March. Um, and in the seven months since then, ending the end of this month, we will have uh, written contracts with nine different companies uh, that will have obligated the full $15 million that Congress appropriated. Uh, they are to companies that span um, a range of technologies, uh, a range of stages of development from companies that have just literally been incorporated earlier this year to those which are very close to being able to put their products into production. We've invested in companies, or funded companies, I should say, uh, across multiple states, uh, Washington, Texas, South Carolina, Michigan, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Colorado, California. Uh, in one case, we've actually removed, we're helping the company remove existing adversarial capital from their cap table. Um, and with all the companies, we vet them for making sure that their capital comes from trusted sources and then as part of our contractual relationship they commit to working with us on an ongoing basis to ensure future funders are, are trusted um, and in one case for example we have secured production capacity uh, from one company for the defense department uh, for batteries that are based on a, an advanced chemistry technology so those are the kinds of things we've managed to accomplish in a, in a really short space of time. With this $15 million, you talked about a focus on hardware. Could you talk about maybe one or two of the things that you've awarded? We set out thinking we would look at um, the following five broad areas of technology that are of interest to us. You know, autonomy, not so much uh, electric vehicles, but smaller autonomous drones and underwater vehicles and so on. Um, new communications technologies, uh, technologies that are hard to spoof, hard to jam. Uh, power, battery technologies, energy storage, energy production and conversion, mostly small scale, not grid scale kinds of things. Uh, sensors of all kinds, uh, which uh, flows into many areas, including autonomy uh, and um, space technologies. So those are the areas that we were interested in, and I can talk to you. I can give you a few examples of some of the companies that we are working with. Uh, so there's a, a, a company called FuelX, um, and they have a unique manufacturing process for a material that's been around for some time but is difficult and costly to make. And that material can store hydrogen at relatively low pressure and safely. Uh, that's one of the big knocks against fuel cell technologies based on hydrogen is you've got very high pressure um, and it's very explosive. So this is going to be a contribution in general to the hydrogen portion of the economy. But there's a specific program that the Army is interested in uh, called the Conformal Wearable Battery. And uh, that is, if you've got a soldier out on patrol for 72 hours, they're carrying an awful lot of electronic devices that need to be powered. Um, they've got a, if you will, a jacket that is full of battery storage. But even that will run out pretty quickly if those batteries aren't recharged. And this material that Fuelx is developing 
combined with a small fuel cell that they've designed will uh, enable you to do that for an extended period of time in the field. So that's that's one example of a of a defense application that's relatively near term. This material also has lots of opportunities in the commercial world as well. They're a little bit further out. Tex Schenken, director of the National Security Innovation Capital, speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mascioni. Be sure to check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, 
when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, <clears throat> I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, 
and they they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.